Yo, what is up, everyone? You're tuning in to the second season of the Commission Talk podcast with your boy MJ Padua and Joe Bianchi. What's up? This week uh, marks the season beginning of, yeah, the second season of the Commission Talk podcast. And we just wanted to define some terms a little bit, um, like what we're going to be doing with the podcast going forward. Because if you listen to the season one uh, version of the podcast, we talk a lot about our, our league, La Ligma. This time around, we really want to kind of have this be digestible for a wider audience, maybe something you can share with your friends, we can share with our friends, and talk about the dynamics of team building in Dynasty and team building for fantasy football for this season, next season, three seasons from now, whatever it may be. And so we're going to be doing a lot of that team building talk. Uh, this week, we're going to be doing power rankings in our league, kind of die, you know, breaking that down, talking about last year's rankings and the results and the directions of these teams and how we think they should move forward, what they did, grading those things, that sort of stuff. But Joe, do you want to kind of explain what the power rankings are going to be like? Yeah, so we do power rankings every year. It's kind of an annual thing. It gives our league some good banter to talk about after they listen to the pod. But as well, like if you are in a dynasty league yourself, um, you can glean some information, kind of see what other teams are doing to rebuild or other contenders are doing to um, stay dominant. And so to define the power rankings, it's just the ability to contend this season for a championship. You know, we have all one goal in dynasty. It's to win a championship. That should be everybody's goal. And so that's how we're going to define the power rankings. There may be a team that has more valuable assets on them, but if they don't help you to compete this year, then they're going to be lower on the power rankings. But we will note that they're maybe an archetype of a team that's ascending. And so they might be more dominant later on. But for this year's sake, these are our power rankings going into the 2021 season. The word you did throw out there was archetypes. And I just want to define some more terms for you guys, just so we're all on the same page. So Joe and I have kind of boiled down the different archetypes of teams and dynasty into, uh, yeah, four different archetypes. The first is the rebuilding archetype. So this is your team that's probably two plus years out from competing, and they have little to no valuable assets as of right now, right? Um, or they're planning to draft some, like, so everything's in the future. Ascending teams is the second archetype. Ascending teams are only a couple pieces away from competing. They most likely have a blend of win now assets and future assets. And so that's kind of a good sweet spot to be because your ceiling might be really high, but your floor also might be really low. Competing teams is the third archetype are in win now mode. They have all the pieces to win now to push for a championship. And who knows, they um, are focused on extending their window to compete for as long as they can. The fourth archetype is probably the, the one you do not want to be caught in, right? Because it's not exciting and you don't know what to do, but it's descending. And your window is still open to compete. So you still have win now assets, but most assets on your team are probably depreciating, right? Think 29, 30-year-old running backs, 32-year-old plus wide receivers. Maybe you're built all on like tight ends or something like that. And Probably your best assets for the long term are just draft picks. There's no names attached to those quite yet. Whereas rebuilding teams, um, their future assets already have names, right? They're rookies, second year players, that kind of stuff. So that's the archetypes that Joe and I will be running through, the lenses that we're running through as we talk about these teams, as we jump into our power rankings. So Joe, um, we have 10 teams in our league. We're going to start at the bottom and work our way up. 
But before we jump into that, let's actually talk about our last year's rankings and versus the results of those rankings. So last year we had at the top of the list, Joe and Kayvon, uh, Joe probably being the one A, Kayvon being the one B. Then we had our friend Kevin. Then we had Jimmy as a three A, myself as a three B, we were tied. Then we had Tim, Eric, Shabes, Sebastian, and Joseph. And I know that all sounds like just a random bunch of names if you don't know these guys, but um, all that to say, we had Joe, Kayvon, Kevin, Jimmy, MJ, Tim, Eric, Shabe, Sebastian, Joseph. And the way it actually went down was Joe, Kayvon, Kevin. So we had the top three right. Then the middle kind of got muddied. We had Tim, Jimmy, myself, um, where we had Tim actually behind Jimmy and myself, and he actually leapfrogged us. And then we had the next tier down, which is probably in the basement teams, Shabe's, Eric, Joseph, and Basti. And so Shabes overperformed um, over Eric and Joseph overperformed uh, Sebastian. And so, yeah, the, the cool thing about our power rankings were that six of the teams we predicted landed in the exact spot that we predicted them, which is really cool. And only three of the teams um, dropped either one spot above or one spot below where we predicted them. Um, MJ was actually the only team that hopped two spots from where we predicted him. And we'll kind of break down um, the reason for that and um, what he's doing in the off season to change that. So, Oh, that's a um, good forecast, Joe. A little, little like forecast that. there for you guys. Uh, stay yeah. listening and you'll see what's happening to MJ's team. But mm -hmm. How about we hop into the power rankings? Let's do it. So the bottom of La Ligma, um, this is a coveted role. You know, somebody that <laughs> is not going to be competing for the championship this year. We have Joseph Luna, and we've categorized him as a rebuilding and ascending team and just kind of a, a little snapshot of his team. So he's got Josh Allen as his solid quarterback, which is which is a great fantasy quarterback. And his running back stable is David Montgomery, Ronald Jones, and Melvin Gordon. So we're looking a little shaky there, but where it looks really bad for Joseph is his wide receiver core is Kenny Galladay, Deontay Johnson, Michael Pittman, and Marquise Brown. They're all kind of in this wide receiver three, maybe back end of a wide receiver two um, ceiling. And so he doesn't really have a solid wide receiver that he can count on week in and week out. But Joseph did manage to land Kyle Pitts at 102, um, which I think is basically solidifies his tight end spot for the future um, and allows him to um, compete in the future when he does, you know, build up his wide receiver core and hopefully adds a running back or two. But I just don't see Joseph being able to compete with a lot of the other people on this list. Um, for Joseph's draft, some of the honorable mentions, at 102, he drafted Pitts. At 202, he was able to pick up Terrence Marshall. And at 2.9, Chuba Hubbard. For Joseph's draft grade, I'm going to give him a, a solid B. I think Pitts is going to be huge, especially now with the news of Julio Jones leaving Atlanta. I think that Pitts just skyrockets in value. He's going to see a lot more of the target share. I think Terrence Marshall is a good kind of dart throw. We'll see how he plays out there in Carolina. And then uh, Chuba Hubbard is going to be also another dart throw. It's kind of injury dependent on Christian McCaffrey. Um, but if Christian McCaffrey is traded in a year or two or moves on after his contract and Chuba Hubbard is still there and proves that he can be a bell cow, you know, that might be a good pick. Um, I think it's a little early to take him at 2-9, so that's kind of why I, I docked him down to a B, but overall solid draft from Joseph. Yeah, he's definitely a rebuilding and um, rebuilding team. Maybe you could say he's an ascending team, but yeah, his wide receivers, man, the only one I like there is Deontay Johnson, and then with Kyle Pitts, 
there, like you said, the Julio trade that benefits him hugely. And Chuba Hubbard, it's hard not to see his name and not think of his 2019 season when he almost won the Heisman and just went crazy. And so who knows, maybe if he is that guy, he'll go nuts and that's a great value there. But, you know, maybe pump the brakes a little bit on Chuba Hubbard there because 2020 showed us that maybe that was kind of a workload dependent thing. But let's move on to nine. Um, we have our friend named Shabes. He is a rebuilding team for sure. Uh, well, I give his draft grade a C minus, and I don't know if we mentioned this earlier, but we're also doing draft grades because we had our rookie and veteran draft for our dynasty league. But, um, I have shapes. I give his draft a C minus because his first pick was Trevor Lawrence, which is great as a rebuilding piece, because, you know, if he's supposed to be this generational talent at QB, maybe you have the next Patrick Mahomes, who is a, you know, week in week out, week out starter fantasy wise. And the only week you don't start him is during his bye week That's his ceiling. Like, that's where you hope he would be. At 203, ah, it's a, it's a heavy investment there. That's why I give him the C- minus because his next pick was Nico Collins, wide receiver for the Houston Texans. And Nico Collins was a height, weight, speed monster. Think the same vein as Chase Claypool. Actually, I think their measurables are crazy similar. It's like their hand size was about a quarter inch off. They're both 6'4". They're both about 220 pounds. They both ran 4'3", like 4'4s. I think it was like a 4'4", 40. Um, don't, put, don't put too much stock into that. But from a build standpoint, Nico Collins and Chase Claypool, really similar. I do not like Nico Collins' landing spot in Houston. We, I don't think Deshaun Watson's going to play this year. And even if he does, it for sure won't be in Houston. And do you really want the wide receiver three on a team with a no-name quarterback? That's just kind of my thought. But even Shaves' roster, there's not too much to be excited about, right? His running back stable is James Robinson and David Johnson. I won't go too much into David Johnson. You probably shouldn't think about him too much either. James Robinson, however, they drafted Travis Etienne in the first round. The Jaguars did. And they, it's a new regime in Jacksonville, and they invested nothing into James Robinson. And so I don't believe this running back by committee, maybe for the first one or two weeks. So maybe Shabes steals a game in the first two weeks of the season. But after that, I think it's Travis Etienne's backfield going forward. And then you look at his wide receivers, and you got Tyler Lockett, who's incredibly inconsistent. You have Henry Ruggs, who saw us approve it. Mike Williams and Corey Davis, who are kind of these wide receiver three prospects Corey Davis might do something in New York but then he has a rookie quarterback and he's also in New York and we'll see how they do and the only person I'm really excited about on his roster is probably Brandon Cooks who's been a solid wide receiver too for the last pretty much his entire career minus two years when he was injured or his rookie season and so that's what I'm looking at when I see Shabes um, he's a rebuilding team so if your roster kind of looks like that be thinking of how you can be moving pieces like an aging running back in David Johnson or even uh, James Robinson, who could, you know, you might find somebody who is higher on him than you are and you get some good trade value there. So we'll see what he does um, this season, but I have him there at nine. Yeah. I think those would be great moves for shapes to make and kind of not having an adept at running back really kind of hurts his team. Uh, coming in at number eight, we have MJ and MJ, you are a recently rebuilding team that has now transitioned to the ascending role. Woo. Uh, 
Um, and I give your draft an A plus. It's hard not to when oh, you thanks, man. realize who you drafted. So you had the 103, the 104, 106, 107, and 110. Yes, you had five first round picks. And you took Chase, Etienne, Devontae Smith, Waddle, and Trey Sermon, respectively. And I think those five players alone just bumps your team up from being probably last rank, last place in the power rankings to probably beating out um, some of the good teams on you know certain weeks. Having already having Jerry Judy and Jalen Rager really makes that five um, group of wide receivers looks really solid. And then where your weakness lies though is your running backs. I think you know Travis Etienne and James Conner are really your only startable running backs that I see. And beyond that, you have Chase Edmonds, who could be a good flex play. Um, he is splitting time there with James Conner in Arizona. So you kind of have, you know, both sides of that coin. And then Naheem Hines might, you know, give you some PPR value. But you really kind of have these dart throws of Trey Sermon and Michael Carter. And we'll see how they pan out this year. There's a lot of um, hype for them. And there's a lot of people saying that they're not going to be relevant at all. So we'll see how that pans out for them. But if you can hit on at least one of those running backs, I think that you can... Um, contend for the last playoff spot next year. I think you are going to miss it this year by a spot or two. Um, so that's why I have you here at eighth. But your draft was incredible. We'll kind of break down um, some of the moves that you made to get those picks later. Um, but yeah, I think having you here at the eighth spot, um, you're not going to be competing this year, but um, you do have players that are going to be increasing and appreciating in value if they hit. Oh yeah. And that's a great example of an ascending team, right? Like one who's already invested a lot of picks, there's names attached to their assets and you know, you have a lot of hope on the horizon for my team, which is great. And it's a fun place to be. And it makes trading that much more weighty because I don't want to tinker too much, even though I have been trading like a mad lad. Um, the next person up on our power rankings. So at the seventh spot, is actually our first descending archetype team. And just to remind you guys, a descending team, um, their window to compete is still open. They absolutely can still compete, um, you know, push for that title if things break right. But most assets on their team are depreciating and their best assets for the future are probably going to be draft picks at this point. And with that, uh, that person in our league is our friend, Tim. And so Tim is he's always been on the cusp. That's kind of who he's been in our league. He's just right there. You know, he's, a, he, you always feel like Tim's roster is maybe a piece or two away, but unfortunately with the quickness of um, the lifespan, I would say of our, of running backs in fantasy football, that kind of window is starting to, to dwindle down. So he has Josh Jacobs, Austin Eckler, Leonard Fournette, and Kareem Hunt. Now, if this was his raw, if this was his running back stable in 2018, he would be the number one in our power rankings. Like this would be an insane running back stable to have in 2018. Unfortunately, Austin Eckler is starting to age up a little bit. He's a very good trade away candidate. Um, and for competing teams, I'll even throw this in there. He's a good target candidate because you might be able to get him on the low as people are lower on him because he's coming off an injury as well as, you know, he's just getting, he's an older running back. Playoff Lenny, Leonard Fournette didn't really do stuff in the regular season when it counted for us fantasy players, but he did stuff, you know, in the playoffs for the Buccaneers, won a Super Bowl. And then Kareem Hunt, he's in a timeshare with um, Nick Chubb. And I know we talk about the running backs a lot, but running backs in fantasy football really are a good barometer for where your team is at. Um, simply because 
their ceiling for the amount of fantasy points they can contribute is so large. And so I look at his running back stable and I think, uh, you know, next year, maybe the year after that, I don't know who's still on his roster. I don't know who um, is going to be contributing wins for him. Um, but he did draft a running back in the in our rookie draft. He drafted him in the mid-second round. He drafted Kenneth Gainwell for the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm a huge Eagles fan. I love Kenny Gainwell from a football standpoint. I am not excited from a fantasy football standpoint because you have um, you have Miles Sanders, who's already a well-rounded back there, right? And he's already established himself with this, as a starter. Then you have Jordan Howard, who is the power back goal line back. And then you have Kenneth Gainwell, who is coming from Memphis, who was maybe the best pass catching back out of this running back class. But then where do you put him? You know, it's not like the he's not to the level of an Alvin Kamara or a CMC, but you know, you can line up in the backfield, you can line him up in the slot, but now they have Devontae Smith and Greg Ward. So I just don't know if there's a clear path to snaps for Kenny Gainwell, but he might spell Miles Sanders. Do you want a running back like that on your roster? Maybe simply as a handcuff. But as you look at Tim's roster, he does have a couple good um, wide receivers for the future, right? He has CD Lamb, he has Chris Godwin, AJ Brown, who are great. AJ Brown takes a hit because of the Julio trade, like we talked about a little bit earlier. So I'm kind of putting Tim in that descending um, archetype here. He can absolutely move some pieces to get himself out of that. And maybe that's even a footnote for these archetypes. It's not a progressional thing. Rebuilding teams don't become ascending teams, don't become competing teams, and then descending teams, right? You could be a competing team and then completely scrap your roster the next year to reload one year, be rebuilding. And then in your, and then two years from that, be competing again. So it's all about your timing and being honest of where your team is at. You got to be honest with your roster so you know what moves to make. And so Tim could for sure move some pieces like Austin Eckler. If you're an Austin Eckler owner, I would think about moving him if your roster is kind of built like Tim's where you're on the descending um, side of your window. So that's where I have Tim at at number seven in our league. Yeah, I think that's a great point, especially with these aging running backs, because you look at his wide receiver core, AJ Brown, CD Lamb, DJ Moore, they're all youth and talent that I'd love to have on my team. But his running back core, it's all these people who are hitting that 27, 28 year mark. Um, they're heading towards that. And we, we talk about that mark as kind of a, a running back cliff. And you want to be, you know, you don't want to fall off the cliff with these running backs. like a Todd Gurley who was untouchable and then the next year you can't trade a second for him or Melvin Gordon you know who's untouchable and then sits out um, same thing with Le'Veon Bell like you see these running backs who teams just don't want to invest in these older running backs when they can just get the new toy in the draft and so I think being able to pivot from these running backs is kind of a skill and you kind of have to finesse it sometimes but Tim can definitely pivot and get some more youth and maybe get some more talent and maybe package together um, a running back and a wide receiver a running back and a pick two running backs for a solid running back but there's definitely room in his roster to be able to pivot from a descending team but if he doesn't then he's going to find himself um, with a asset like a running back that's just you know, has fallen over that cliff and is now worth nothing. So it's better to sell on the early side than to hang on and be stuck holding on too long. In the sixth spot, this is um, our first predicted playoff spot. We have Sebastian. And Sebastian is an ascending team who was rebuilding last year. Um, and he had the 101 pick and he snap picked Najee Harris, which instantly boosts his team and uh, really kind of 
solidifies his running back core. Sebastian has Najee Harris, Aaron, Aaron Jones, and Miles Gaskin. So I think Aaron Jones and Najee Harris are, you know, a really good 1A, 1B for him. Um, at wide receiver, he recently traded for Odo Beckham Jr. to kind of give him a little bit more competing, but he also has some youth in Brandon Ayuk, Mike Williams, Visca Chenault, and Curtis Samuel. I think all of those guys are going to perform really well this year, probably be wide receiver twos. And then he has Johnny Smith as tight end, who I think is going to be really solid there in New England. They really like to use the tight end, and I think he's going to be kind of a crutch for Cam Newton or Mac Jones or whoever they have slinging the pigskin over there. Um, so for his draft grade, I also give him an A. He drafted Najee, like I said, but in the second round, he was able to snag up Michael Carter. And then at the end of the second round, he snagged Amon Ross St. Brown, which I think is a solid pickup for him where he got him. Um, and then in the third round, he was able to take a veteran talent in Jarvis Landry, who in PPR leagues is always consistent. He's always getting the line share of the target. So I think is a, is a solid pickup, especially in the third round. And then he waited to the fifth round to get his starting quarterback, Matt Stafford, which I think is probably going to be a low end QB one this year, maybe even mid QB one. And he got him in the fifth round for basically penny. So I think it was really good patience on Sebastian's part. And um, I think he's kind of rebuilt really well and he, he utilized his picks um, for talent. That's going to really help his team this year. Yeah, I mean, we're going to talk about his roster a little bit more later about kind of how he got here. Um, but I really like the pick of Amon Ross St. Brown. I think he steps into a starting position there in Detroit. Obviously, he's a rookie wide receiver with Jared Goff as his quarterback. So don't expect like a meteoric rise in his ADP or in his stats compared to what people are expecting but I think he's going to be a solid producer. And so I love that. Um, yeah, I would give him an A as well, especially that Najee Harris pick. Man, that he's going to be a great running back uh, for the next three years at least for fantasy. Um, and he's just such an underrated receiver as well. His route running is so good. Okay, enough about Sebastian. Um, you did a great job with that. So at the fifth spot, now we're getting into um, the top half of our league. Um, we have Eric, and he is also an ascending team. Eric's roster probably has the highest ceiling, um, but also may have one of the lower floors in our league. So his running back stable, again, talking about the importance of the running back stable, are is uh, J.K. Dobbins, Jonathan Taylor, Antonio Gibson. Man, those three are going to be sophomore running backs who anybody would be happy about having on their roster, namely Jonathan Taylor and J.K. Dobbins. Now, um, a lot of people are high on JT. We're all expecting him to be a running back one and not only that, but an elite running back one. And then JK Dobbins is that fringe RB one RB two. People are expecting a lot in his sophomore season, but I have heard some rumors about JK Dobbins, you know, maybe he won't produce because he's going to be the second, uh, be the second most in the rushing share in that attack with Lamar Jackson. And they also just extended uh, Gus Edwards, which doesn't bode well for the running back shares for JK Dobbins. So, you know, Gus Edwards is going to get in there and it's not only to spell him and to give him some rest. He's going to get some meaningful carries and get some meaningful targets. Um, his wide receiver core is DK Metcalf, T Higgins, Michael Gallup, Denzel Mims, Cortland Sutton is his veteran really there um, alongside Devonte Parker and Antonio Brown, maybe. And so he has kind of this like young group of sophomores he has a lot of sophomores and some third year players and you know if they hit eric can really be you know pushing for that second spot maybe even the top spot but man it's 
it's uh it's putting a lot onto these young guys and that's what we have in as a, as an ascending team but my draft grade for him is going to be a b plus he got rashad bateman at the one eight and at the one nine he had elijah moore and those two guys are just great dart throws to have at wide receiver and so he is invested a little bit into the baltimore offense there with jk dobbins and rashad bateman but i think um, Rashad Bateman there. He's going to be the second option in the passing game. Uh, maybe even third, depending on how they use J.K. Dobbins, but definitely second behind Mark Andrews. Mark Andrews is Lamar Jackson's best friend. He's going to get the most targets. Um, but Rashad Bateman, man, he is a great talent. Excited to see what he can offer out of Minnesota. And then Elijah Moore in the in New York with Zach Wilson, with Corey Davis, with Jamison Crowder. Um I've heard the New York Jets be described as the San Francisco 49ers of the East, right? They have uh, Mike LaFleur, um, the old offensive coordinator from San Francisco. He's now their offensive coordinator and he has Robert Saleh, the uh, old defensive coordinator for the Niners now in New York as the head coach. And Elijah Moore is going to be that same Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel athlete who you can have in the slot, who you can have outside the numbers, who you can even motion into the backfield. They could be really creative with Elijah Moore. So he's a name to look out for. Um, but if you are kind of in that same boat as an ascending team, these names, Rashad Bateman, Elijah Moore, these types of players are the kinds of players that you want to take dart throws at. People who you know will be involved in the passing game and their ceiling is really high because those are the types of players that move you from ascending into that competing level tier of a team. Um, and if you miss, you know, you're, you're still in the sending team, you have other assets, you can keep being in that tier for a while. But hopefully, um, Eric hits on these guys and that'll make for a really interesting playoff season for us. Um, and so next you have the top four teams in the league. These are the playoff, like semifinals, finals guys. Joe, tell me who you have next. Bottom of this uh, top four podium, um, we have Jimmy. Now, Jimmy, we kind of classify as a descending team, just a little bit of a snapshot into his roster. He has Russ as his quarterback. His running back stable is um, small. It's only Ezekiel Elliott and Joe Mixon. His depth there at the running back position is Devin Singletary, Raheem Mostert, and Kenyon Drake. Um, and his wide receiver core is really the bread and butter of Jimmy's team. He has Justin Jefferson, you know, wide receiver one overall. Allen Robinson, Robert Woods, Mike Evans, Debo Samuel, DJ Chark. And then he's got a solid tight end and TJ Hawkinson. So you look at his team and the reason why he breaks his top four barrier is just the solid wide receivers that he has, as well as the name brand running backs. But not having a lot of premier, you know, running back one or running back two depth in the running back position really kind of hinders him and allows him to kind of be on the fringe in this group and maybe even in a tier lower than the other players we're going to talk about, the other teams. Um, if injury was to happen to one of these players, he would really kind of not be able to compete with the other teams just based off of their running back depth and the premier running backs that they do currently have. And so that's really his Achilles heel. And if he was able to pivot one of these wide receivers and, you know, maybe a two first, you know, his 2020 and his 2023 that he just recently acquired, I think that he could really benefit to get another premier, maybe a younger running back. Um, but it's hard to get these running backs once they've already kind of solidified themselves in the NFL. And so if he doesn't hit on a pick soon, his team's kind of descending and he's going to be in this weird spot where he has these young, talented wide receivers, but no running backs to complement them. 
So he's kind of in a weird spot because he's a descending team, but he's also really trying to compete this year. So I'm, I'm excited to see how he pivots this year and maybe, or if he stays the same and to see how his team plays out. But yeah, we have Jimmy here at four. And then just a little bit into his draft, I gave him a C minus. At two five, he took Trey Lance, which I think is a little bit of a reach and probably would have been in the third round. And I think Kenyon Drake, he took next at 2-6. He's not really going to be fantasy relevant this year. I think he, more he's just a nuisance for Josh Jacobs' owners. I think he's going to eat up a little bit of Josh Jacobs. And he might see some some of that PPR action, but he's not going to be a guy that you want on your roster come championship time. If Josh Jacobs was injured, yeah, Kenyon Drake is going to see a huge bump of in value. So he's probably like one of the premier handcuffs in this league, but... A 2-6, I think, is a little bit of a stretch as well. And then a 360 took Singletary, which gives him a little bit of depth at running back. But again, it's, you know, he's the 1A or 1B there, um, where Zach Moss is basically the other part of that coin. So really running backs that are kind of handcuffs as his depth and really don't kind of provide him any flex play whatsoever. So he's going to be relying on his wide receivers a lot this year. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, I mean, we don't want to spec on injuries, but... It just feels like he doesn't have the superstar or at least like solid kind of depth that would lead me to believe that Jimmy's roster could survive some injuries because they're going to happen. Players get hurt every year. It's really hard to find, even especially running backs who last 16 games year in and year out and produce at an elite level. Um, And so we'll see if you are kind of like Jimmy right now and you're, you want to push like, go ahead, push. But, you know, you kind of got to start counting the clock or checking the clock on Ezekiel Elliott and Joe Mixon because those guys, you know, their cliff might be coming soon. And like Joe said earlier, with these running backs that are approaching, I mean, Joe Mixon's not that old. I mean, Ezekiel is not, but they both have a lot of tread and Joe Mixon has some injury history. It's like you don't want to be caught holding the bag on these running backs because their value is their value is at an all time high. Um, and so with that, we're going to move into our top three. We, at three, we have Kayvon, who has historically been the thorn in Joe's side and has been finishing second for the past handful of years. Oh, yeah. Side note, if you didn't know, Joe is our three-peat champion of La Ligma. Um, so when he says something, you better listen in. Um, but Kayvon has been his thorn in his side, and he's been trying to keep up with Joe and trying to add to this arms race of running backs. But, yeah, we see Kayvon as a competing team, and I would see him, honestly... He's edging towards descending if he doesn't play his cards right. So his roster right now, Saquon Barkley, Dalvin Cook, Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Man, that is such a mixed bag because Saquon is still young, but he's coming off of an ACL injury, right? ACL, MCL, PCL, complete tear. Dalvin Cook, who is, his cliff is coming in the next two seasons or so. He'll probably produce great this year. Then you have Clyde who's this really young guy. So I don't know what to make of Kayvon's window, but all I know is, man, if he holds on to these guys for too long, he is a prime candidate for being caught holding the bag. His wide receivers, DeAndre Hopkins, Ty Freak, Amari, Julio Jones, Cooper Cup. Um, that's a solid wide receiver stable. Um, but those guys are also kind of boomer bust. Like we saw, you know, Tyreek Hill has like these really high scoring games. Then sometimes he's producing wide receiver two numbers. Amari Cooper is just gone sometimes. And then Julio Jones is in a loaded offense, which is awesome in Tennessee. But we'll see how that translates to fantasy because there's so many mouths to feed. 
And then Cooper Cup, um, who has a new quarterback in Matthew Stafford, who I think will be great, um, which even rolls me into Kayvon's draft grade. I give him an F, um, but I think there's an argument that could be made for like a D minus or a D because he traded um, a couple players, Chase Edmonds, who's a starting running back, Evan Ingram, starting tight end, and his first round draft pick, which became Trey Sermon for Cooper Cup. Um, so yes, Cooper Cup is essentially was his first round draft pick, but at that cost, I don't know, man, but Trey Sermon and Chase Edmonds, those are great guys to have on his roster just to be like flex running backs. Um, but then beyond that, he has Cole Komet in the fourth round and then Logan Thomas in the, like pretty much the sixth round there. He's the end of the fifth. And it's like, dude, do you really need more tight ends? <laughs> like, um, like I don't, there's no way he starts two of these tight ends between Noah Fant, Cole Komet, and Logan Thomas. With the other guys on his roster, I just don't see him starting two of these tight ends. And so to use your draft capital on those guys is kind of perplexing to me. Um, so that's why I give him an F. Um, but I think there's an argument that I could say D minus or a D. Um, yeah, that's who I have there at a three. Joe would love to hear you have it too. Um, or maybe even you have some thoughts on Kayvon. Feel free to share those too. Oh, I have a lot of thoughts on Kayvon, but <laughs> yeah, I mean that running back stable, it's, it's hard not to, you know, look at the name value of Saquon, Dalvin Cook and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, but it's hard when Dalvin Cook has never played a full season and Saquon's coming off of, you know, potentially a career ending injury. And there's speculation whether or not he's even going to start this year, uh, start the season. He'll probably play this year, but at what capacity? Um, I think if Saquon comes back healthy, if Dalvin Cook plays a full year, and if Clyde Edwards-Hilaire breaks that, um, you know, running back one there in that potent Kansas City Chiefs offense, I mean, that's a hard train to stop. But there is a lot of what ifs, and that's kind of the ceiling for all of those, and their floors are very low. Um, so it's kind of a boom bust there at running back. But, you know, when when the he has all those cylinders running, it's, it's a really hard train to stop. But coming in at number two, we have the man, the myth, the legend, Kevin Deza. And we've classified him obviously as a competing team and we give his draft grade an A minus. He got some really good dart throws at wide receiver and Rondale Moore, Kadarius Tony, and he picked up Michael Gallup at three seven, which I think is a good, a good snag there in the third. Um, just kind of giving you a snapshot of his team. He has a lot of really good running backs in Derek Henry, Miles Sanders, Nick Chubb, and Chris Carson. I think Derrick Henry is headed towards a little bit of regression this year, but if he just stays on pace with what he did last year or even slightly lower, I mean, the the possibilities are limitless for Derrick Henry there in that offense, especially with Julio Jones there. I mean, it just I think it kind of bumps up the run game a little bit just because of the pass game has to be accounted for as well. Um, I think Miles Handers really needs to take a step forward this year. It was kind of a lackluster year last year for a lot of Miles Sanders owners, but if he does, it's going to make Kevin's team really well-rounded. Nick Chubb is always a solid, a solid starter and is always breaking that uh, running back one cusp. And I think Chris Carson really needs to um, play to that contract he just got and really perform in that um, potent uh, Seattle offense. And then at wide receiver, he has a lot of big names in Michael Thomas, Stefan Diggs, Scary Terry McLaurin, Juju Smith-Schuster, and Robbie Anderson. So he's got the you know his three starters, Mike Thomas, Diggs, and Scary Terry. But then Robbie Anderson and Juju, he can flex in on bye weeks and he can play as a flex play. And then he has um, one of the top three tight ends in the league in George Kittle, 
which really you kind of need a premier tight end that just helps you solidify your matchups and gives you that edge week in and week out and come playoff time really kind of allows you to compete with these top teams especially the team we'll talk about next you kind of have to have a premier tight end to go against him so um but yeah he's he's got a lot of depth at wide receiver too like the guys he picked up and michael gallup rondo moore daryl mooney and he has ty hilton as kind of a, a flyer but then he also has a a good tight end and robert tanyan i think that he's a, a solid backup tight end and so there's a lot to like about kevin's team i think he had a good draft having a couple of second round picks but yeah i expect a lot from him this year and hopefully we'll see him in the championship yeah, dude. Um, I love Kevin's team and and even his draft, you know, like I think his draft reflects exactly what you want um, for a competing team, taking into account what this draft was, right? He drafts Rondale Moore and Kadarius Tony both in the second round. And this was a draft class that wasn't necessarily deep at running back. He doesn't take the flyer with Kenny Gainwell, who was there for him at 2-1, right? He's taking these guys who were kind of slept on. I mean, Kadarius Tony was a first round wide receiver. A team's not going to invest that kind of draft capital in a wide receiver and just not use them unless there's something seriously wrong. And all signs are pointing to like Kadarius Tony will be at the very least wide receiver two there. Like, um, so I, I, I think Kevin's draft showed that he knew that he's, his roster is ready to compete. And he took these guys who are like, give Rondale more a year or two. And then he'll be somebody who you want on your fantasy team. And that just extends Kevin's window to compete. So I think Kevin will constantly be in this top three um, teams of our league, unless somebody makes a serious jump or somebody seriously, or Kevin seriously fumbles the ball. Um, but we'll see what he does with these running backs, right? Cause like you said, like Nick Chubb, Chris Carson, like we love those guys. Chris Carson's super slept on. But, you know, the cliff might be coming for him, too. And Derrick Henry, I mean, uh, dude, RB1 for this year. It's crazy. He's he's insane. And, like, obviously regression has to happen. Like, he cannot produce at this level. But last year, that's what everybody said. And then he still did it. Like, it was just insane what he did. But obviously that leaves number one, your boy, Joe Bianchi, sitting at top of the pile, um, king of the castle again. He has that Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey stack, which he was just talking about. When you have one of those top three tight ends, if you're not facing one of those other guys, right? If you have a Darren Waller like me and you're not facing Kittle or Kelsey, you pretty much know you have that positional matchup every week. Like, and then even when you do face those guys, it could be like a toss up. And so, gosh, he has Kelsey. He has that Patrick Mahomes stack as well. And then he also has CMC, Alvin Kamara, Cam Akers, DeAndre Swift, and he just drafted Javante Williams. Not to mention he has Devontae Adams, Calvin Ridley, who got a huge bump with Julio being gone. I think if you're trying to say, well, you know, um, maybe Calvin doesn't produce that over the whole season and blah, blah, blah. I think you're, you're being too cute. Like you're thinking, you're overthinking it. Calvin Ridley is a legit bona fide wide receiver one. And with Julio gone, it's scary. It's scary hours for anybody who matches up against Joe. Um, so you're obviously a competing team. Would love to see what kind of moves you make to extend your window because as amazing as Alvin Kamara and Christian McCaffrey are, their values are probably peaking this season and they're probably going to descend every other season after this. And so maybe we see AK41 
move to a different roster. Maybe we see CMC on a different roster. You know, you've gotten your three championships out, out of them. And now you're like, well, get me onto that Cam Akers, DeAndre Swift, Javante Williams train. Give me all your first round picks and I'm just going to reload and continue to extend my window. Scary hours. But for your draft, I do give you a C plus, but this is just because of the scarcity of picks. So at 140, you took Javante Williams, who I think is great. I think he won't be great for you weeks one through, you know, five or so um, because he's still figuring out the NFL. Melvin Gordon is there, but I think he does win that job and you're going to win weeks one through four. Regardless, you have me week one. So whatever. That's an L for me. But once he takes over that job, um, yeah, that's going to be great. But then you have Amari Rodgers in the fourth and Ryan Tannehill in the fifth. And it's like Ryan Tannehill is not going to start over Patrick Mahomes any week other than his bye. And Amari Rodgers, we'll see if he makes the cut for next year. Um, he's going to be, you know, third, fourth receiving option on that team, maybe even fifth. And we don't know if Aaron Rodgers is going to be there. So if you have Jordan Love at quarterback, do you really want the fourth or fifth wide receiver in Green Bay? He's a great talent. He was great at Clemson with Trevor Lawrence, but we'll see if he can produce with a lesser quarterback in Jordan Love. And so that's how we have our power rankings all set up for you guys. Hopefully we're able to give you guys good ideas, um, help you define terms and see where your team is at, whether you're a rebuilding team, an ascending team, a descending team, or maybe you're a competing team and you're trying to figure out what pieces do I move to extend my window to continue to compete year in, you're out and continue to get that cash. So, um, Joe, we talked about our power rankings. We even talked a little bit about last year's power rankings. Let's talk about who the biggest like faller or descender was and the biggest climber was and how did they get there? How about you take the biggest descender and I'll take the biggest climber. And so, yeah, take it away. Yeah. Kind of, uh, we talked about him a little bit in the beginning of the show, but MJ, you are the biggest descender from last year. <laughs> we predicted you to be in the top four last year, and you were kind of in that um, top four tier of teams that are podium and championship contenders. But unfortunately, you got knocked out in the quarterfinals, and you um, ended up sixth last year. And you were eighth going into this year. And that's be kind of kind of because you made some rebuilding moves, and I'll kind of break down the trades that you made. So first off, um, to start off, you traded Aaron Jones for two first, and you traded this to Basti, who is an ascending team, and gives them a little bit of uh, potential to compete. But you were able to get two first round picks from Basti. The next trade, this is probably the most blockbuster trade of the off season. You traded DK Metcalf, arguably the best wide receiver in the league. I for essentially two firsts and Jalen Rager. It was three firsts and Jalen Rager, but you also gave a first. So you moved back one spot and one of your first round picks and you gained two more first round picks. And these allowed you to um, get players of the likes of Jamar Chase and Devontae Smith, as well as Jalen Waddle. So you really kind of diversified your portfolio in a sense and broke up DK Metcalf's value for some of these maybe lesser value wide receivers that could be on par with DK Metcalf in a year or two. And then Jalen Rigger, you're obviously hoping for a step up year there, but it gives you another um, player at that position. You then traded Cooper Cup, who's kind of getting up there in age and doesn't really fit the bill of your young wide receiver team. Um, and you got a first round pick essentially from him and you traded him to Kayvon, who's a contending team, trying to dump off a um, talented player to a contender for their first round pick is always good. And then this is a, a kind of a complicated trade, um, a series of trades actually. 
but I'll kind of break down essentially what you got from it. Or you traded away a 2023 first round pick and you essentially got Dallas Goddard and Michael Carter. And one of your 2022 picks, which was a late round pick, is kind of upgraded to an early to mid round pick. Um, and you use this by trading um, and getting OBJ from Jimmy. And then you traded OBJ to Sebastian, who's an ascending team and just needed that um, depth and kind of premier wide receiver namesake. And so he, he was down to trade you Michael Carter for OBJ in a first, um, getting a first back. And so I think this is a really good trade. You basically turn a first round pick into a streamable tight end and a potential running back and was also able to upgrade a pick for next year, kind of extending your um, buying availability for next year as well. So I think these moves are perfect for anybody that's looking to rebuild you know, take these big name players like Aaron Jones and DK Metcalf. If you're not going to be able to compete for that championship, then make it so that you're able to compete for the championship in years to come. That's that's what I always tell people about, like, why do I like Dynasty Fantasy Football so much? Is if you're not winning, you can still be winning by trading for picks and being able to win later on. Amen. And so that's, that's the beautiful thing about Dynasty Fantasy Football is even if you're not competing this year, make it so that you're in that position to compete in years to come. And you've done just that in um, trading the, these players for picks and the players that you've given names to these picks are um, really well-rounded and I think are really going to provide dividends for you. Yeah. Um, I love that. And I'm okay with being the biggest descender because I've said this in private, but I'll make it public now. My goal is to tear down and rebuild faster than it takes some of the other teams in our leagues, won't name names, to even admit that they should be doing the same thing. Like, I want to be back into that contending role by the time these players are like, man, I should have done that two seasons ago. And so, um, that is exciting for me. And even just to give you guys a little look into our league and how rebuilders can become descenders, can become competitors, and competitors become rebuilders all in the span of, you know, one season. Our league from positions, from a record standpoint, the third best record to the seventh best record are only separated by two games, right? So you had Jimmy at eight and five, me and Kevin at seven and six, and then Tim and Shabes at six and seven, and then Tim beat, you know, beat the odds and, you know, was able to finish fourth in our league, which is a part of the reason for my tumble. And like, if you look from a point four standpoint, like I'm my, my roster did better than Kevin's last year, but we're talking about him being a computer second best in our league. And so, um, but you look at my assets last year and it was Aaron Jones, James Connor, you know, I was able to diversify DK Metcalf and all those things Joe said, and that was pretty sweet. Um, so, but for biggest climber, we have my brother, Basti, Sebastian, man, making these moves. So what he did, and this is kind of in chronological order, he traded for Aaron Jones, okay? And that 107 he gave away became Jalen Waddle, and that 109, which eventually tra I traded down to the 110 using the 109, and they got Trey Sermon. And so eventually, essentially, he traded Aaron Jones for Jalen Waddle and Trey Sermon, and maybe you look at that and you're like, well, I'll take Waddle and Sermon all day. But if you're a team that's on the cusp, you're an ascending team, dude, take Aaron Jones. He'll still produce this year. He just got a, a, that second contract. Who knows past 2021? But you know, Aaron Jones will has that RB, like top five RB ceiling. Might as well trade him for some rookies who, you know, you don't know. Like you have a proven commodity in Aaron Jones. And so I liked that for him. And then he drafted Najee Harris, who's going to be an absolute stud. 
Michael Carter in the, uh, in New York and Amon Ross St. Brown, who we talked a little bit about earlier. After the draft, he traded for Miles Gaskin and um, then he traded Michael Carter in the aforementioned trade with me for OBJ. And so what Sebastian did was he took some youth, he took some future capital, capital and he he got some like known commodities. Now, OBJ has been hurt the past three out of four years. But what's exciting about OBJ is if he comes back healthy, man, sky's the limit for him. From a talent standpoint, with Baker Mayfield, with Juice Landry there, who Sebastian also has on his roster, like Sebastian has the makings of a team who is already our biggest climber, but we don't even know how wide that gap could be. That he could even rise even further. I could see him overtaking, you know, Eric. I could see him overtaking even Jimmy. Like there's there's a path for Sebastian to be in the semifinals. And that is exciting because Sebastian was bottom of the league last year, guys. He had pick 101. Like he really flipped that roster around. It's really a testament to some good team building, trusting the process and trading away players um, when you felt like in draft capital, when you felt like it was your time to make that push. And again, dynasty, all of these archetypes, it all boils down to how honest you can be with your roster and your assets and the timing with which you move them. So I hope this is encouraging for you guys that Sebastian went from last to possibly, you know, fourth in our league. It's it's exciting. And I, if you're in that same position, you're rebuilding, you know, you're one or two players away. If you hit on one or two players, you can keep them on your roster. You can also move them and just get a plethora of talent coming back your way like I did with the DK. So um joe it's been an awesome first pod back i thought it would be cool to kind of end with a fun purely objective ranking system for some of these rookies that are coming out and that purely objective ranking system is going to be based on harry potter characters and so um i can go first just to give an example so my harry potter of this year's rookie draft class is trevor lawrence He's the face. He's the franchise. You know what I mean? Like without Trevor Lawrence, this draft class is like, okay, Trevor Lawrence is a generational talent. Harry Potter is a once in a lifetime kind of wizard. Um, and so he's, he's the face. He's the face. He's the boy who lived and hopefully he lives through the curse. That is the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, maybe he survives that and turns him into a winning franchise, you know? Up next, we have Javante Williams, and I've given him the player comp of Ronald Weasley. Yes, he is a Weasley. <laughs> He's kind of the third fiddle to Travis Etienne and Najee Harris a lot of times. But I think that, like Ronald Weasley, he's going to get the girl in the end. Yes, Ronald, Ronald Weasley ended up with Hermione Granger, who is the most talented wizard of their generation, not Harry Potter. Um, <laughs> so Ronald Weasley is really the real winner at the end. And I think just like Ronald Weasley, I think Javante Williams might prove to a lot of dynasty owners that he is going to be the running back to own. I think he's kind of held back a little bit by uh, Melvin Gordon there in Denver. Maybe that's his broken wand. Melvin Gordon is his broken wand. That's his broken wand. And he's even, you know, with a Denver, he's got the, he's got the orange look to him too. You know, he's going to rock an orange helmet, just like Ronald Weasley's orange hair. So there's a lot to like about Javante Williams. I really liked his college tape. I think that he's excellent after contact. You know, we'll see how he plays, transitions to the NFL. But I think even with Melvin Gordon, a lot of people are kind of downplaying Javante Williams' um, usage there this year. But I think it might be the Javante Williams show come later in the season 
And that's when you want your running backs to turn on is when you're competing for a playoffs. So I think this year he could help those teams that make it into playoffs. He could help them, you know, win that championship. But if not this year, I think they're going to move on from Melvin Gordon next year. And so it's going to be the Javante Williams show there in Denver. You've heard it here first. Um, I'm excited <laughs> about my boy. Dude, I love that. And I love that there's levels to this. You know, he's like a little wrecking ball just bouncing around, kind of like a whomping willow. If you remember that scene? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that, dude. Where else are you guys getting these kinds of player comps? Come on. So obviously the elephant in the room is who is he who must not be named? And I'm choosing the Voldemort of, of this rookie class to be Mac Jones quarterback out of Alabama to the new England Patriots. And why? Because he is the one who must not be named in your fantasy drafts. And he is the one who must not be named on your rosters come 2021. And maybe I'm incredibly low on a first round quarterback, but the way I see it is he is a system quarterback who doesn't run the ball. He's as athletic as a tub of mayonnaise, right? Like think of Voldemort in that little fetal stage. That's the, that fetal thing has the same amount of athleticism as Mac Jones does as a fully grown man. And so I don't think in fantasy football, you want those pocket passers unless they are elite, elite tier, like Tom Brady, right? Or Drew Brees or Matt Stafford. Like those are the guys you want who are going to stay in the pocket because you're not getting the rushing work. And do we really believe that Mac Jones on the New England Patriots roster is that? I don't know. Cam is a little bit hurt. He has a shot there. But I really don't believe that Mac Jones is going to be, you know, somebody to own. And he is the one who must not be named in your fantasy drafts this year. Take it away with the next uh, next player comp, Joe. Yeah, ne up next we have the most talented wizard of their generation, Hermione Granger. And I've given this comp to Kyle Pitts, High who, people, <laughs> who people praise even higher than I and say that, you know, if he doesn't break 2000 yards receiving, that he's a bust, you know, <laughs> but <laughs> I think, you know, kind of, we were talking about earlier of this tight end tier, you know, you've got the three big names, Darren Waller, um, Travis Kelsey and Kittle. And I think Kyle Pitts um, is going to give these guys a run for their money this year and might be a relevant year one um, rookie tight end. Sometimes it takes two to three years for these tight ends to become fantasy relevant. But I think Kyle Pitts, now given the news that Julio is leaving Atlanta, I think the sky's the ceiling for Kyle Pitts. The ceiling does, is the roof. Yeah, it's he, he's going to go to the moon. So all <laughs> Kyle Pitts shares are mooning right now. But um, I think if he doesn't, you know, produce at these like in that high tier of tight end i think a lot of people are going to be disappointed but he's gone so early in a lot of drafts even in our draft he went at 102 above like some of these yeah. really good wide receivers and running backs which honestly like if he pans out like it's probably a good play but at the end of the day like a lot of people are really expecting him to do a lot in the nfl and i think he's given all the tools and the perfect situation to do that and he's built like a wide receiver man and he's like He's got all of the measurables that anybody would ever want. And so I think if he's, he's a bust, it's going to be one of the biggest busts of this draft. But I, I really think that he's going to be successful. So I'm giving him the Hermione Granger stamp. Dude, I love it. And even like, dude, there's so many levels to the ones you pick. I love them. It's like Hermione was so awkward looking at first. And he's going to come into the league wearing number eight as a tight end. And it's like, dude, that's awkward. But you start looking at him when you're like, yo, she's nice though. And so I love that pick with Kyle Pitts. Okay, last one. So if Trevor Lawrence was Harry Potter, right? 
you know, there's a whole prophecy that the boy born on July 31st is going to defeat Voldemort and all of this stuff. And, you know, people always thought it was Harry Potter. Well, guess what? There was another boy born on July 31st who was integral in the defeat of the Dark Lord. That was Neville Longbottom. And he was the underdog throughout the entire Harry Potter series. And you know who is the biggest underdog out of these quarterbacks who has always been tied so closely to the name Trevor Lawrence because they went through high school together and then college and all this stuff? Justin Fields. Justin Fields is my Neville Longbottom. And again, where else are you getting these player comps? Come on. You know, like Justin Fields or Neville Longbottom slicing off the head of Nagini at the end of, um, you know, book seven. That's like Justin Fields slaying the head of Andy Dalton over in Chicago. And I just love it, dude. I'm so excited to see Justin Fields in Chicago, see what he can do, take the job away from Andy Dalton and just absolutely show the league, hey, I'm here. I'm a good wizard. I'm a good quarterback and you better get used to it. And so... Dude, that's what we have for our Harry Potter player comps. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that. I just want to end on a little bit of fun. But this is, yeah, this is the new direction of the pod. We just want to talk a lot about team building because we know that we don't have the time dedicated to just break down every single player and just watch all of this film. But what we do know is team building. We know strategy and we know our league and we have a lot of fun with these guys. And so, yeah, thank you again for listening for the Commish Talk podcast. I'm MJ Padua and signing off with my boy, Joe Bianchi as well. Adios. See you.